I was going to say we begin a journey this morning. I trust most of us, if not all of us, are not beginning it, but continuing it. A journey into joy by looking together at an epistle of Paul that is called an epistle of joy. And we do that chapter by chapter from now until the beginning of Lent and then a couple more times after the end of Lent beyond Easter. Beginning this morning with chapter 1, page 950 in your pew Bibles, the Word of God in the first 11 verses of Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When she found out she was pregnant, she tried hard to explain to her three-year-old son that he was about to have a sibling. They learned not long into the pregnancy that Michael's sibling would be a girl, a sister. And Michael decided from that point on every day to sit next to his mom and sing to his baby sister in her tummy and developed a relationship, a bond of love with her before she was born. The pregnancy proceeded normally to completion, but when the little girl was born, she was in serious medical condition. She was taken immediately to the neonatal intensive care unit and got worse and worse. And finally the doctor said to the parents, there is very little hope of her ever recovering. Michael wanted to see his sister. To sing to her, he said, 
But the rules were that the only children in NICU had to be patients. So Michael was not allowed. When it looked like life was almost over, Michael's mother said, well, we're going into that NICU no matter what. She dressed him up in, in hospital scrubs that made him look, she said, like a walking laundry basket and took him into the intensive care unit and led him over to the isolate and he hung on to it and started to sing. You are my sunshine. My only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. And something happened to that little girl. She, of course, didn't know the words or the tune, but she became more alert. And Michael's mother said, keep singing, Michael. She likes it. So he did. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. The little girl's ragged breathing smoothed out. And she seemed more peaceful than she ever had. And now there were tears running down the cheeks of the nurses. The next day, the very next day, she went home. The article I read it in was titled, The Miracle of a Brother's Song. The staff in the hospital just called it a miracle. Michael's mother called it a miracle of God's love. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Not my words, but my sentiment. Words from the apostle of prayer, the apostle of joy, the apostle who wrote letters to so many churches and hardly ever began one without saying, I'm praying for you all the time. Hard to imagine Paul beginning or ending a day without prayer. But in this particular instance, it's what he prays that is as much a lesson as that he prays. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Eugene Peterson put it this way in the message. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you may not only love much, but well. Love is what he prays for. Not just a kind of a warm feeling for somebody else, not just a kind of an emotional attraction for somebody else, but a deep and abiding and growing commitment to somebody else that is like the commitment of a marriage that has lasted for decades and deepened by the day. Love that is a way of life. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Love abounding, and abounding, first of all, Paul says, in knowledge. 
I pray that your love may be more and more in the know. This knowledge is not just the accumulation of more factual data to put into the computer of your brain, but um, a personal relationship with someone else. It's the difference between knowing who that person is and knowing that person. And such knowledge requires personal contact, a relationship, whether this Love is love for God or love for one another. A deepening and thriving and growing devotional life that enables you not just to know more and more about God, but know God more and more. A deepening and thriving and growing relationship with one another that allows you not just to get to know more and more about each other, but to know each other more and more. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, that you would be, as Paul would put it, in the know. And I pray that it will abound also in depth of insight. Insight is not just accurate knowledge, it's the ability to know how to exhibit the love you have for someone else in all of the varying circumstances of life. If knowledge is to be in the know, insight is to be in the show. It's to know how to show in our everyday life that we love and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the ability to know best how to show each other that we really do care. Depth of insight is actually the sense of what is the most appropriate way, the most meaningful way, the most beautiful way to demonstrate my love for you. It's to ask, how can I best show that love to God or to you where I am in my office in my home, in my classroom, in my neighborhood, in my committee meeting, in my business dealings, at the airport, in the bus station, the train depot, in line at the grocery store waiting to check out, at the bank, in my confrontation with an enemy, in my relationship with a friend, how can I best show you, best show you, my love? What is the most tactful, and helpful, and meaningful, and personal, and gentle, and positive, and constructive way to show you that love. How, not just shall I, but how shall I speak to you? How shall I minister to you? How shall I encourage you? How shall I advise you? How shall I correct you? This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So you may be in the know and in the show, revealing it as well. So you may be able to discern what is best. I have been thinking all week that I don't know if there could possibly be a prayer request 
more timely and significant and necessary for today than that. That we would be able to know what is best. So that you may be able to discern it, which literally means to test it, to test things around you, ideas and thoughts and conversations and teachings and statements and relationships and opportunities and what have you. So you can test those things and only approve what's best. Now listen, Paul prays that God's people will be able to discern, that you and I will be able to discern that we'll be able to test, that we'll be able to see through things, that we'll be able to analyze things and approve what's best. Not just what's right or wrong, not just what's good or bad, but what is most important, essential, vital. There is so much today that vies for our attention. So much to watch, so much to listen to, so much to look at, so much to think about, so much to discuss, so much to want, so much to have, so much to keep, so much to get. So much that stands in the way of what's best. I pray you will be able to look over your life and discern what is the most important, what is the most vital, what is the best, and not waste time on what's unnecessary, unessential, unimportant, not ruin time with what's wrong. It's just a verse and a half, verses 9 and the first part of verse 10, that I'd like to read from the Amplified Bible because it's about this long in the Amplified Bible. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight that your love may display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment, so you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and best and distinguishing the moral differences. And, and what is it that is best? Something with a name brand on it? Something that costs more than other items? Something that is the most popular? In the original, the word behind best is the word from which we get our English word, aesthetic. In the fullest sense of the word, Paul is saying, aim for that which is beautiful. Not just good-looking or acceptable or passable, but that which approaches being a masterpiece. This is the aim to live life, not just in a way that gets you by, but exquisitely. It's the ability to use your time and your energy, not just in inoffensive ways, but essential and valuable ways. It's the ability to go beyond mere obedience to God to obedience to God that's attractive and lovely and draws other people toward it and makes other people want to imitate it. It's the ability not just to coexist with people and not fight with people, but to have a beautiful, 
relationship with people. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Eugene Peterson starts this whole section with this sentence, live a lover's life. So you may be pure. Now that means one of two possible things and probably both. The first idea behind the word pure is something that you can hold up in the sunshine and your opinion of it doesn't change. Live a life that you can hold up in the sunlight and that doesn't suddenly appear flawed and disappointing. Live your life in such a way that you can hold it up in the bright light of the sun and it doesn't fade and lose its glory. Live life in such a way that can be scrutinized and watched and observed. In fact, our lives ought to be, not in a nosy kind of inquisitive, prying sort of way, but live your life as an example of what God can do. Your life ought to be in the light, free of pretense and hypocrisy, imitatable. That's one meaning of the word pure, and the other is something that has been in, in a sieve that turns around fast until all the impurities are simply thrown out. Live your life in such a way that more and more of what ought not to be there is gone. And there's less and less of what is not glorifying to God. This is not the life of someone who's just trying to get by, but someone who's trying to make the most of every opportunity for the glory of God and the good of others. Pure life in the light and blameless. That is another essential Christian characteristic. It doesn't mean sinlessness. It does not mean perfection. It's the ability to live in such a way as not to trip over temptations yourself and not to trip up others who see you fall. Here's the Amplified Bible again. That you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied you may approach the day of Christ not stumbling nor causing others to stumble. It's the ability to be a stepping stone toward God, not a stumbling block in his way. It is clearing things out of the way for others as well as yourself to get through to God. It is making the crooked straight so others can see the way to God. Wow, what a prayer. And what a prayer. What an example. What a challenge. What a possibility. It's little wonder that Paul makes something so big and so important and so potent a matter of persistent prayer. He said at the outset, and you know these words, you've heard them often, not only of the Philippians, but of us, 
I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began it will complete it. Now we know those words, but originally, back when Paul used them, they were technical Greek terms, liturgical terms, if you will, for the start and the finish of a sacrifice in a Greek temple. It was sort of like a, a prelude and a postlude. The beginning and the end. Liturgical terms. Not inappropriate to consider when thinking about our lives, which from beginning to end ought to aim to be worship gifts to God. God will be the prelude and the postlude in the life you're living as a worship offering to him. Let your life be a love gift to God. A giving of who you are and what you do to him who is the beginning and the end of it all for you and in control of everything in between. But without prayer, persistent, personal, joy-filled prayer, the fire is likely to go out under such an offering so keep it burning, Lord, is what Paul is really praying. To use his very words, may you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's his prayer. And all God's people say, amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that our love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. We pray that you will help us to live lives that are lights guiding others to you, that are pure and free of impurity by your grace, and that are blameless that don't interfere with your plan or your will or your way, but help others see it better and walk it more faithfully. Lord, help us not only to pray this prayer, but to be your answer to this prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.